0: com/lincoln. odoo Modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you again for helping us get past 30 million downloads here on the Lincoln Project Podcast. You have us at the top of the charts and I cannot say thank you enough. but I can't ask you for one more favor. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people that are interested in the pro-democracy movement, tune in, hear what we have to say, share it with your friends, share it with your family. I want to say thank you. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by comedian, peloton enthusiast, and co host of LPTV's We're Speaking, Maya May. Maya, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Reed. I'm excited to be here because we're uh, almost done with all this.
0: I know, I know. So we're back together again for another round of Q&A and our always thoughtful and incisive members of the Lincoln Project community have provided us some questions. Our questions are taken from social media, emails, town halls. So to those of you listening, if you do have a question, don't be shy about asking. You may hear it on a future LP podcast. So, Maya, let's get into it. All right. Our first one is from Rory Peters, and he says... It seems like the Georgia runoff polls are favoring Raphael Warnock and all reports have been saying that early voting numbers have been incredible. I don't want to say I'm feeling confident about a Warnock win, but I am feeling better about a Warnock win than I was on election night. With that said, how could Warnock blow it? (laughs) It's sort of like the the optimistic fatalist. I feel good, but how's he going to screw it up? I think, Maya, that first there's a broader point, I think, to Rory's question, which is we should not forget that we are a 50 50 country. Election Day, November 2022, was a good night. It was a good night for democracy. It bought us time and space, but it was a battle in a very long fight. And the fact that Herschel Walker, who has, as we've said before, is fundamentally unserious as nearly as a human being, but certainly as a candidate for the United States Senate, came as close as he did. To becoming Senator elect Herschel Walker from the state of Georgia tells us we have a lot more to learn about just what's going on. And I want to ask your opinion on that. But I think, as far as this race is concerned, I think there was also candidly, Maya, also want to get your sense of this, was that there were probably Republicans who didn't like Walker who just went Republican down ballot because they probably weren't Stacey Abrams fans. And that's something that we should just recognize. There are a variety of reasons behind that, too. But that would be my guess. In a runoff, right, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who were very excited about participating in the general. You know, OK, maybe now the Democrats have control of the Senate. Does that depress Democratic turnout a little bit? Who knows? Does that get otherwise sort of Brian Kempe Republicans, the governor who was reelected, to say, I don't you know, I never really like this guy. I'm not going back for him. So I think that Senator Warnock in this context should win. I think the early vote piece is important because that early vote has shown such strength amongst not only Democratic voters, but also young voters. And we've seen just crazy lines and people showing up. So I feel cautiously optimistic that tomorrow night, you know, Senator Warnock will be reelected. And I think that's a very good thing. But again, I think there's a lot of signal in this noise, and I think we have to pay attention to it.
1: I think as the votes came in and it was so incredibly close that people went into a state of panic read, or they're like, Oh my god, is this where our country is at? Is it this 50-50? But I think the third party candidate, the spoiler who said that he couldn't spoil anything because it's already spoiled. I think his name's Chase, something or another, he got somewhere around 89, 90,000 votes. And so I'm actually, in a way, glad that this went to a runoff because it allowed Democrats to spotlight the absolute hypocrisy of the Republicans to elevate somebody like Herschel Walker to a place where he is a spokesperson for the Republican Party, but a spokesperson for apparently people of color in the Republican Party. If it didn't go to a runoff, we wouldn't get to see the, you know, Lindsey Graham's tears and hysterics over how important it is for people to coalesce around this Black candidate because otherwise people of color won't want to join the Republican Party. And I'm like, Lindsay, let me talk to you for a second. That is not why people of color don't want to join the Republican Party. People of color have eyes and see you elevating problematic Black men like Kanye West. And so This notion (laughs) that for some reason, if they just prop up, I like to call him he's like a prop candidate, like a prop badge, propping Herschel Walker up is an insult to most people of color who have worked incredibly hard to get into the positions that they've gotten into. And so I'm glad, actually, that it went to a runoff because I do feel like Warnock's potential and possibilities are highlighted by the deficiencies of a Walker campaign. It's stressful, but I'm glad that it's almost over. And I think it would have been over if it hadn't been for the third party candidate.
0: That's true, but I would also say this is that, and I say this generally for both like Libertarians and Greens, is that they tend to get the votes they're gonna get because if you're gonna vote Libertarian on purpose, you're not really a Republican. It's not typically a protest vote. Same with Greens, right? Greens are not Democrats. And so I'm I'm always a little bit hesitant. You're right. The question would be though, If those people hadn't voted, would they have voted for Herschel or would they have just stayed home altogether?
1: Well, that's the thing, though. I can't imagine somebody like because when I did talk to people in Georgia, I was like, what's going on? I talked to a comedian whose name, interestingly enough, is David Perdue, but he's a comedian. And I talked to him about, like, who are these people that are showing up? And it was like he said, Reed, they were just voting straight ticket. Republican, because that's just what they've always done. And so I find it hard to believe that somebody who voted for a Libertarian candidate or somebody who voted just straight ticket Republican and were pulled into it because of the Kemp race could bring themselves to go wait in line again, take time out of their day. They know they're not going to clinch the Senate now. That's done. So I can't see them taking time out of their day to go to the polls and vote for. A Herschel Walker.
0: I think that's probably right, but I want to go back to one thing you said about both Walker and Kanye West, which I think there's more to talk about. Which is, it's so I would say, from as a middle aged white guy, insulting that if you have a black candidate, ergo, black people will vote for them because they happen to be black. It seems to be an oversimplified, monolithic viewpoint. Do you believe it's born because black voters have gone ninety some percent for Democratic voters forever? And so if you have someone like a Kanye West who tried to get on a bunch of ballots in 2020, suddenly, you know, oh, you know, he'll take some black voters from Milwaukee, take some black voters for Detroit, some black voters from Philly. And, you know, that'll be this. It seems to me to be a gross underestimation of black voters can look at Kanye West and go like, yeah, he's black, but I want nothing to do with that guy.
1: Yeah, I feel like when they prop up a candidate like this, Reed, I feel like it's very much that black people are a monolith. And so they can't distinguish the difference between a Black person who would love a Kanye West and a Black person who would love Obama or a Herschel Walker. It's just all Black people are the same. Times have changed. We've had an Obama. And so maybe 20 years ago, people would be like, oh, yes, finally a Black candidate. We're going to at least pay attention, give him some support or give them some support, maybe. But now we've actually seen... What we call Black excellence in leadership. And so, this idea that we would take what I consider to be kind of the lowest common denominator of like the every stereotype that you could think of of a Black man, and then try to, I mean, when he said that he'd hold his resume up to Obama's any day, at that point, I was so very confused about what that man was even telling himself. And so, it is insulting, Reed. And I don't see it having an effect past this election cycle. Like, I don't see Republicans thinking that they can make this play again, but they've surprised me over and over again with their inability to adapt. But this is playing the race card. When we talk about playing the race card, that's what this is. And so the only thing that's going to cause them to adapt and see people as the diverse tapestry that they are is to keep losing races. Like, they have to keep getting it wrong. And they are continuing to get it wrong. And so it's on them whether or not they decide to do the work to actually understand the different communities. And that means actual boots on the ground. But it also means being able to attract people into their party who are actually willing to have those conversations with diverse communities. And the Republican Party cannot attract people at this point into their party who are able to do that kind of work.
0: Well, look, I mean, you know, just as an aside before we move on to our next question, the Republican National Committee said It was going to put together an advisory council of leaders, you know, to discuss like what went wrong in 2022, not unlike theoretically the autopsy they did in 2013 after Mitt Romney lost. And it's, you know, Michelle Steele from California, who is of Korean descent, and John James, who is African-American, a member of Congress from. Michigan. But then you also have Blake Masters. So what they want to show the world is that, oh, no, we are the rainbow of America. But the truth is, they're really just MAGA.
1: Well, they're because there are many people of color who have bought into the MAGA idea and so are a part of the MAGA tent. And they actually hold very little in common with other people of their ethnic background. And I think that's what a lot of Republicans fail to recognize.
0: But I, I think Democrats sometimes fail to recognize it, too.
1: Fair enough. I won't disagree with that, Reed, because I think that is the case, but they're learning more quickly. And I think they're learning more quickly because they are starting to pay attention to their Gen Z children who are now watching shows that reflect the diversity of their communities, of their schools. And so if you look at any of the shows like that are reboots, like Gossip Girl is my favorite one to call out, the original Gossip Girl cast was almost entirely white. I think it was entirely white the new Gossip Girl reboot is a mix of all races, all gender identities. And that's what Gen Z comes to expect. And so I think Democrats are paying attention more to that and so are able to pay attention and listen more in ways that Republicans can't.
0: Right. But I mean, we should say that with all of that, especially if the dividing line in American politics is more age than ethnicity, that under 40 has a very strong particular viewpoint, and over 40 has, seems to have a different viewpoint. Not surprisingly, as people get older, but I would also say that, you know, Gen Z outperformed, and thank God for it. But as I said with Tara McGowan on our last episode, like, don't take it for granted. Don't take any of this stuff for granted. Like, the work is done for 2022. The work begins for 2024. And if you don't believe it's going to take two years to build the infrastructure and the coalition and everything else, I worry that we're not taking this seriously enough.
1: I love that last episode, by the way, Reed. I've listened to it like a few times in my car. And what I think is really interesting is we keep talking about Gen Z, like, thank you for saving us. They're not doing it for us. They're doing it for them. We're just happy to go along for the ride. Look,
0: I don't care why they did it. Right? <laughs> Ultimately, like they did what we needed them to do. If it's for them, great. If we're the beneficiaries of it, I'm happy for that, too. OK, let's see. Alfred asks, if Warnock wins the Georgia runoff election tomorrow, do you think that either Kristen Cinema of Arizona or Joe Manchin of West Virginia would switch parties in order to regain the power and sway they had when the Senate was 50-50? Um, I don't know Alfred it would make sense if doing that would give republicans the majority but it wouldn't so i don't see that but you know i could be wrong i think that cinema is an interesting character because she will have at least one very well qualified and i assume well funded primary opponent in arizona in 2024 and mansion is a Democrat in the Trumpiest state in the country. So, like, I'm not sure where they go, but I'll tell you this, is that if you switch parties, unless you make a very specific deal with the party you're going to, you start over on the seniority list, right? So let's say that, I don't know where they are on the seniority, but let's just say Manchin's been around a while. Let's say that of the 50 Senate Democrats, he's 22nd on the list, somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit of the middle. If he were to become a Republican, he's number 50 that means you got to restart everything on committees everything else whether or not people listen to you and there's sort of the turncoat factor you can't go home and people never really trust you and there's sort of that sort of oh god right like and this is not like the 60s 70s or even 80s where southern democrats were becoming republicans right it's not that kind of thing where a whole swath of voters and politicians were changing sides right this would be a one off i just don't see it mansion has shown and again I'm not giving him any particular grace here. He has shown that he's been willing to make a deal. cinema too, but like they're going to extract a lot for it. But, you know, even with their intransigence, Joe Biden got a hell of a lot done legislatively in you know the first two years of his presidency. So are they a pain in the ass? Yes. Can they be infuriating? Yes. But for me, I think, Maya, they're probably likely to stay where they are versus going someplace where they have zero power.
1: Zero power on a sinking ship, Reed. Also, who would join the Republican Party right now unless they thought that they were saving it somehow, that they were going to be the new moderate leadership of the Republican Party, which based on what you just said is an impossibility, based on the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Kevin McCarthy's of the world is an impossibility. So I love this question from Alfred because on one side it scares the crap out of me to even think of that being a possibility, but I also, I'm like, who would switch to the Republican Party right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably right. I mean, in the U.S. Senate, right, McConnell still is the minority leader, right? So he is, quote, unquote, establishment. But let's be clear, they're all infected, right? They've all been bitten by the zombie. But, you know, his conference is going to be more Trumpy now in January than it was in this past two years. So we'll see. I think also it'll be interesting that, you know, the 2024 U.S. Senate map, at least as we look at it today should be more favorable to Republicans. But if Trump is on the ballot and has basically cleared the field, there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of Trumpy candidates for the United States Senate in otherwise winnable seats that probably win primaries because they control the party. So, yeah, I don't think Cinema or Mansion are going anywhere soon, but you never know. My I can't figure out the motivation for either of them other than to be sort of the person who always gets the press attention or gets invited to stuff. And, you know, Blah, 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 blah. self-importance, self-importance, not something new to Washington, D.C., sir. All right. Next question. Faye Brady asks, so where does Herschel Walker actually live?
1: I don't think Herschel Walker even knows where he lives.
0: I was going to say that. I don't know if he knows what planet he's on, what galaxies he's in. I don't think he knows. and, And I don't know either.
1: There are times I think Herschel
0: Walker is a simulation. But like a Gen 1 simulation, right? Like they didn't even get into beta. It was just like, we built this thing.
1: They're like, deploy, deploy.
0: All right. They called it minimally viable and they sent it out into the field. So, All right. David Morrison asks, if Republican Party elites truly want to keep Donald Trump from winning the presidential nomination, why don't they change the rules for the Iowa caucuses and the primary elections in New Hampshire and elsewhere from winner take all to proportional? OK, David, this is a very good question. And I will try, Maya, not to make it too nerdy. So the thing is, is that there are 168 members of what's called the Republican National Committee. That actually is a group of people, it's two members, committee men and committee woman from each state. So that's 100. And then 68 state party chairs and various other people. Each state makes its own decisions. But let's be clear most of these states, over the course of the last, six, seven years, like they are Trump loyalists in charge of those states. Right. I believe in South Carolina in 2020, they didn't even hold a primary. They just gave their delegates to Donald Trump by acclamation. So they could do that. But I don't know that any state party chairman, A, would want to do that. And B, has the wherewithal to get it done anyway, because, you know, now you have a state party chair, the committee men, the committee women, delegates, executive committees, all these like super nerds, right? Like they argue over parliamentary procedure and other weirdness all day. And so I don't see it happening. But we should also remember that, and it sounds weird to say this, Maya, is that both the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee are private organizations that exist for the purpose of nominating and electing candidates to office. They are not public organizations. They play by their own rules. Right. Which is why you see so many, quote unquote, closed primaries in so many places. Right. Republicans want only Republicans to choose their people. Democrats want only Democrats to choose their people. Right. Because they don't want crossover, which is why in a state like New Hampshire, which is, you know, famously sort of fickle anyway, you can see crossover because they have open primaries there. And so, you know, if it's a walkover in A Republican primary, you might have some Republicans go over to the Democratic primary just to participate, right? Oh, maybe I can make a difference. So I think it's a great question, but I think that the infrastructure right now from the Republican National Committee in Washington, D.C., the RNC, Ronna Romney McDaniel is the chair. She is running for chair again. She is likely to win. That place belongs to Trump. And why does it belong to Trump? Because they're afraid of him, because they get in line. And because Maya, without his name on the 8,000 emails they send a day, they don't raise money.
1: Yeah. And I also wonder from a psychological perspective, Reed, if there is something to be said that the... Republican elite, the moderate Republicans, can use Donald Trump as a foil and say at least we're not him. It makes them look more moderate. It makes them look more palatable. I think Ron DeSantis is counting on that. So it's like they don't want to destroy Trump entirely, partly, yes, because they don't want to alienate his base and they can use him to fundraise, but also
0: because he's so terrible, he makes them look middle of the road. Well, that is true. They are counting on that. But again, that relies on the idea that Republican primary voters are normal and moderate, and they're not. And we saw that in 2022 with the types of candidates that got nominated all over the country. There's a reason why Kerry Lake lost and Blake Masters lost and Adam Laxalt lost and Tim Michaels lost. If there was a Trumpy candidate running in a purple state or a contested district, more often than not, they lost because the general electorate, doesn't necessarily want that, but the primary electorate very much does. Look, this is not new to politics either, right? I mean, this is not new to Republican or Democratic politics. The whole idea was, you know, you had to run to your base in a primary and then you ran back to the middle in a general. The problem for Republicans now is that once you run to the base, you can't go back. It's a one-way trip because as soon as you start to try and tack back, the MAGAs, because they're nihilists, just abandon you, right? Oh, he's a turncoat. Or Trump. Look what Trump did to the guy O'Day in, in Colorado, who was the kind of Republican you're talking about, actually cleared his primaries and, quote unquote, normal Republican, gets asked a question about Trump like 10 days, two weeks before the election, says, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. I'm running my race when to move forward. Donald Trump goes out and blasts him, right? What happens? He loses. Now, was Bennett, Michael Bennett likely to beat him? Maybe. Colorado sort of the bluer shade of purple, but. How many thousands of MAGA votes stayed home because like, well, if Mr. Trump doesn't like him, I don't like him either.
1: I actually have a question for you, Reed, about the Georgia race to go back to that quickly. The lieutenant governor said that he couldn't bring himself to vote for either candidate in the runoff, couldn't vote. He couldn't. So he just didn't. He waited in line, he said, and he couldn't bring himself to vote. What do you make of that? And do you think other people are having that same conversation with themselves?
0: I think there probably are. I saw that comment. I was surprised that he said it. I think he was able to say it by looking at his ticket mate, Brian Kemp, the governor who has been a target of Trump since he refused to overturn the Georgia election in 2020. And he said, you know, in other states, this might be death. But in Georgia, it's not because there are still more normal Republicans than there are MAGA Republicans. But again, those normal Republicans Again, as we talked about at the top of the show, Maya, look how close they came to electing Herschel Walker just based on party identification, knowing that the guy is a complete disaster as a human being and would be, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like having him on the floor of the United States Senate. All right. Samuel Ackerman asks, will Donald Trump's dinner with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West do any long-term damage to his 2024 campaign? I would say it's too soon to say. First and foremost, you can always tell the cricket like nature, Maya, of Republican leaders, because it took even the ones who eventually came out and sort of decried anti-Semitism and everything else. Did it sort of broadly. Right. Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, these are terrible people, but like they didn't really skewer Donald Trump personally. Right. They very pointedly left his name out of all of this. Right. This has no place in the party, yada, yada. But like. It does have a place in the party. It has a significant place in the party. So this is, again, I think one of those things where what we saw, like our Bannon line voters, right, this is otherwise somewhat intelligent Republicans going middle of the road. Voters hate this stuff. They're repelled by it as well. They should be. And we can't afford to lose any of them. Remember, as we saw in 20, but more so in 2022, it was the coalition of Democrats, independents and soft Republicans that got a lot of these pro-democracy Democrats over the line, they realize that this stuff is poison for the overall brand. The problem is it's not their brand. They don't control it. And so is it going to have long term trouble? It might. But, you know, we also, you know, we move from outrage to outrage in about eight minutes in this country. And you could even say, like, there will be people who'd be like, well, Donald Trump, I mean, you know, yeah, he had dinner with these people. But like even Trump didn't know how crazy they were. They'll say that because that's where the defense will start whatever metaphor you want to use, making deals with the devil, Faustian bargain, whatever it is, this is what you get. You get no good options because you made the ultimate bad choice.
1: Well, they're constantly willing to make excuses. And so because they wouldn't name Donald Trump and they just said anybody who allies themselves with white supremacy will have a hard time getting the nomination, they left the door open for Trump to denounce it later or to apologize and say he's sorry. And so if you look at the way they even treated Herschel Walker's, you know, million kids out of wedlock or all of the abortions he paid for, it's like, well, he was repented. He's sorry for it now. And it reminds me the way people handle abusers who are repeated abusers. It's like, oh well, they said they were sorry. So it's okay. Oh, they said they were sorry. And so they invite that into the party when they constantly make excuses for it. And so the apologies are meaningless. Denouncing it is meaningless. But as long as they denounce it at some point, then they're welcomed back in the party. And so to me, it's only going to hurt him if Democrats, if independents can come out and say, this shows poor judgment over and over and over again. This is poor judgment. And you don't want to have people in leadership who lack good judgment.
0: Well, and also, you know, the people who, you know, now I think are all getting themselves ramped up both emotionally, politically, financially, logistically to potentially take Trump on in 2024. Pretty quiet, right? Ron DeSantis, you know, it was reported Ron DeSantis made the proactive choice to just stay out of Trump altogether, like just stay quiet. But Nikki Haley, Glenn Youngkin, Mike Pompeo, all of these people, again, if they've said anything, it's barely anything, whereas if they were smart... Like they should have done in 2016. And again, we've seen this, they're making the same mistakes again. They would all be all over him and driving his numbers as far down as they could. And they would be united in saying, Look, we might all lose. But if we all lose, we're all going to lose trying to get rid of this guy. You know, it's like we must all hang together or we will surely hang separately, right? Benjamin Franklin. And they'll eventually hang, you know, metaphorically, individually, because. They're like, well, anything I do to help that guy who's not me, that's not Trump, like helps that person. And I'm not going to be that person because at the end of the day, also, Maya, this is all about self-interest, right? They're all completely self-interested, as are the donors, as are the operatives, as are the MAGA members of Congress in the United States Senate, as are the crazies out in the states, right? They're all self-interested. Trump has been an incredible grift for a lot of people. He has given them license to be their worst selves and they love it. The evangelicals have gotten everything they wanted from Trump. The donors, the donor class, all these billionaires who are so appalled, like they've gotten everything they wanted from Trump. The rank and file MAGA voter have gotten everything they wanted from Trump, right? He has given them everything they wanted. Tax cuts for the wealthy, you know, again, being an asshole, conservative judges reshaping the American landscape based on the judiciary, not on the legislature. So like, You think they're going to give him up now? Like, let me just say this. Like, if they wanted to, great. Like, I'm first in line to say I would much rather take on somebody else all day long, Maya, than Donald freaking Trump. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. But like, that's not where we are. And I think anybody who believes that, like, oh, no, he's damaged beyond repair. Like, I remember sitting in a conference room in the summer of 2015 with a bunch of national reporters in an event that I had helped put on, Maya, when Trump made his remarks about John McCain. I like people who weren't captured. He's only a hero because he was captured. And we were all like, that's it. That's it. He's done. And where have we been since then? The guy organized a coup against the United States. And you think a dinner with two goons who are terrible human beings, you think that's going to do him in? Like, I just don't buy it. He's the person who's managed to lower the bar
1: so much that it doesn't matter where the bar is that's how he's changed our political discourse like i actually it was only when you said that i was like oh yes you're right he did stage a coup but i think when you talk about all the things read that trump was able to deliver for the billionaire class i realize now every time i see somebody post donald trump is the best president ever before when i would see those kind of posts i was like who is this person what are they thinking and then the other day i realized oh for them he is the best president ever for like their set of values. And I think a lot of times in our country, because we don't connect and converse anymore with people across party lines or whether it's the rural, you know, urban divide, we have a hard time understanding that there are people who have completely different set of values than we have. And so he is an amazing president. Donald Trump is the best president for that set of values. And I think it's really important going forward for people to understand that because otherwise we keep butting ourselves and asking ourselves, well, will, will dining with white supremacists hurt him? No, we don't need to ask that question anymore because we know that that appeals to the set of values of that portion of the country,
0: period. Which is, I think, bigger than most of us want to believe. All right. Karen Charmley asks, do you think that the DOJ special prosecutor, Jack Smith, will finally go after Trump? Maya, I don't know much about how DOJ works, but as I've talked to some people, this does seem to be a positive development vis-a-vis a a restarted, full-fledged investigation of Donald Trump, a potential indictment. We just saw late last week that the 11th Circuit in Atlanta, a three-judge panel, all Republicans, two appointed by Trump, said, no, there is no special master needed for these classified document thing, which I think opens up the floodgates for DOJ to really go full speed ahead on their their investigations. So I think it does give Jack Smith the opportunity to go full steam ahead on a potential indictment. Look, the indictment in of itself will charge and polarize the country once again. It might bring people back to Trump's side who weren't otherwise with him because it's like it's a witch hunt, it's a witch hunt, it's a witch hunt. But here's the deal. It looks like he broke the law. We believe he's broken the law thousands of times. But in this particular case, It would seem to be, Maya, that they probably got the best prosecutors on this trying to figure out how to get this done so that they not only can get an indictment, but if and when they go to trial and if they could ever find a jury (laughs) right, who doesn't know who Donald Trump is, that they'd have him dead to rights. And I think it's also necessary for the body politic to say, like, no, people will be held accountable for their bad behavior. Now, Republicans will say, well, now we're going to do it to you. That's the chance you have to take, right, because they're going to do it to you anyway. It's like, oh, well, you know, we can't have a January 6th committee because the Republicans say, well, we're going to investigate you. We know that, but you were going to do that anyway. I mean, hello, Hunter Biden.
1: Yeah, I think doing the right thing is doing the right thing, regardless of what happens after the fact. Like, obviously, we want to be strategic, and that's why I love the strategy of I feel like it was almost like when Jack Smith came in, it felt very much like in the wrestling matches, like WWE or whatever the wrestling is now, where there was that wrestler in the corner that nobody was paying attention to. And then just out of the blue, they're being called into the ring and the whole crowd is like, ah! like who
0: is this Jack Smith?
1: Is he going to take Trump down? With a
0: folding chair over his head? Yes!
1: And so I was just excited because I'm like, oh, good, because I bet Trump didn't see this coming. And that's the person. It's this. And so the name is so like Jack Smith. It sounds like so innocuous. And I would just love for that to be the person who, like, puts the chair over the head.
0: But look, you can already see. Right. I mean, this is how Trumpism works. Right. It is not just a candidate. It is not just a political party. It's an ecosystem. And, you know, as soon as Jack Smith was announced the right wing reactionary media went after him full bore to try and discredit him in the eyes of half the country. I don't know if it'll work, but that's the point, right, is to discredit him as far as being somebody who could legitimately prosecute Donald Trump. Although to your point about lowering bars, no one is more illegitimate at this point than Donald Trump. So, all right, let's move along here. Okay, Mina Spellman asks, let's say that Kevin McCarthy is not able to get the votes needed to win the speakership. What are the possible scenarios that could play out? Would it be possible for a Democrat to wind up being Speaker of the House? I mean, this is a great question, and I'm going to be just knowledgeable enough to be dangerous and probably get something wrong. But remember that the Speaker of the House is elected on the floor of the U.S. House. You have to get 218 members of the U.S. House to be elected Speaker. Right now, McCarthy doesn't even have enough votes in his own conference to get elected Speaker, let alone of the full House. So It could happen. It's a nine vote majority, Maya, for the Republicans. So you'd have to get five Republicans to come across the line and say, "Okay, you know what? Like, I don't want anything to do with Kevin McCarthy being speaker or any of these other people being speaker. And then I guess, would those people be willing to, say, make Hakeem Jeffries, who's just been elected the new leader of the Democrats in the House, speaker? Maybe they would, because at that point, like if you have crossed the Rubicon, like, does it really matter at that point? Like, you're not going back. You'll be pilloried from one end of Pennsylvania Avenue to the other. So it could happen. I mean, McCarthy, he's got, you know, is it the Steelers wheel songs, right? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle. The MAGA people, my, will extract everything from him for their votes. And we already saw that, you know, Matt Gates, idiot from Florida, Bob Good, I think, from Virginia, right? There's already, you know, a bunch of them who said, like, I'm never going to vote for the guy and you're not going to convince me otherwise. So I think that the intra-party fight is where a lot of the action will be. And it wouldn't surprise me, although I have no knowledge of this, Maya, that there might be some Democrats who are going across to, you know, some of the last normals such as they are in the, in the House conference saying, look, you really want to be part of this for two years? Do you really want to do this? And maybe they peel off five or six. And if they did, it would be unprecedented. and People would go bananas. I would love to see it happen because I
1: feel like with the changing demographics of the country, with people realizing that we've lost a lot of the serious necessary to make true governing happen, that the people who did actually go into politics because they wanted to be of public service will actually revisit, reflect. Um, they have some time to do so on the strategy that they think is going to help not just themselves but the country going forward, and. If they only need to peel off five or six people, given the sheer number of people in the House, and a lot of those districts maybe are, you know, more purple that they want in, you know, gerrymandering, obviously, aside. But I think it does present the opportunity. If there is a time to do it, now is the time.
0: Right. And look, we should just say all of the status quo that we grew up with politically, really going back to 2014. Maybe even 2010 with the Tea Party. It's all over. If something insane is likely to happen or could happen, it probably will happen. So, like, just like rules of order and, you know, oh, it's all going to be normal again because McCarthy's normal. It's never going to be normal, right? Until we're through this sort of turbulence. And so, yeah, could it happen? Sure. Would it be fascinating, sort of historically and from a political science perspective? I think it would be. I think it would also, you'd watch the tops of. 125 million Americans, the tops of their heads come off and Trump go crazy and everything else. But we're in a very tumultuous time in American politics. So is it possible? Sure. Is it likely? I don't know about that. All right. Let's close it up here. Spencer Brandon asks, now that Trump is back on Twitter, how long before Truth Social is shuttered? The truth is, Spencer, I have no idea. I think that he's got some requirement based on the truth social bylaws or something that he's got to post there first and then there's something. But the gravitational pull, Maya, to Twitter for Trump, I just think will ultimately be unbearable. He gets away with everything else as far as his corporate stuff is concerned, largely, although, you know, he's companies on trial in New York. So I don't know that it shutters. I don't know if you just cross post. I don't know how any of that stuff works. But given the fact that, you know, it took Elon Musk seeing Kanye West, actually just tweet a picture of a swastika to suspend his account, not ban it, not get rid of it, but just suspend it. It Says to me that, you know, the right wing trolls, what's his name, that brown shirt guy, Richard Spencer, all these people are flocking back to Twitter because they know they're unlikely to get, you know, thrown off again. So will he go back? I think eventually he will. It's his happy place. Look, I think I have a Truth social account. I've never been on the site, nor would I ever go there if I didn't have to, especially if you don't want Russians invading your computer or your phone. But I think he'll go back eventually because it was always his biggest platform.
1: Yeah. I think Trump is actually afraid to go back to Twitter, You know, whatever the rules are on Truth Social and the things that he has to do for investors, et cetera. But I think Trump is like the kid who got kicked out of the high school and two years have gone by. And he knows that everything has changed. He's not the cool kid on campus. He's not the biggest noisemaker. Kanye was the biggest noisemaker now. Elon's the biggest noisemaker. And Elon has more money than he does. And so I think Donald Trump is probably licking his wounds right now and trying to figure out how he can jump back in the Twitter game and be relevant. Like Truth Social is like his perfect little bubble of love. And he feels cozy and warm there. And it's like he used to run Twitter, just like the high school quarterback used to run the school, gets kicked out, now has to come back. His girl's already with like, you know, his replacement. And it's just like, I think he's afraid, which is I want to turn up the heat on that. I'd be like, oh, you're afraid to come back, huh? Like,
0: interesting. (laughs) I like it. Well, we'll make a note of that. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank everybody for your questions. Maya, before we go, where can our listeners find you online? I am Maya on stage
1: on all platforms. That's Peloton. That's Post. You can find me on there. Can't figure out Mastodon. Don't know what's going on there. Need a tutorial for the tutorials because I looked at the tutorials for Mastodon and I was like, I don't know what's going on here.
0: Right. I know. Look, if it's complicated, forget about it. I just, I don't get it. All right. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Maya May, thank you for joining me. Everybody else, thanks for all your questions and we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.